Woohoo and yeehaw! <laughs> it is Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. I am super excited. Yeah, baby, yeah! An entire month of cool interviews, amazing insights, low entry breeds, rare breeds, endangered. There's something you don't see every day. Preservation battles rare breed enthusiasts are fighting. The work they're doing may very well apply in your own breed. So I hope you'll join us. This is going to be a lot of fun. So, hey crew, new year, new decade. Let's have some new pure dog talk promos while we're at it, shall we? All right. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive Pure Dog Talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook Live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for owner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming, like what products do I like or anybody else like. Open mic Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talks patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. Like a So, just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. 
I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have one of my absolute favorite people and dogs, Susie Zaramy from National Purebred Dog Day, is hey, here. Laura. Hey, how are you, girlfriend? I'm awesome. How are you? Much the same. I almost didn't make it. I had a date to go out with friends for lunch, and then we were going to go shopping. And then I thought, no, I have this today. I have to stay home. No, Susie, you're confused. This is April of 2020. There is no lunch or dates. Yeah. Oh, I was either living in the past or projecting in the future. Projecting. We'll say projecting. Hate it when that happens. Hate it when that happens. All right. Well, we are having a rare breed month, as you know, here at Pure Dog Talk. And Um, In a happy confluence of events, National Purebred Dog Day on May 1st is in just a few days. So I said, hey, let's talk about this because National Purebred Dog Day is where I have learned about many of the rare breeds that I have discovered through you. And I believe that there's some real synergy in terms of why National Purebred Dog Day is important, and why preservation breeding is important. So who better to talk about it than Susie? I appreciate the vote of confidence. (laughs) So here we are. We've got a lot of breeds in this world that are threatened numerically for a variety of reasons. We have breeds that are trying to rebuild, rebound, reestablish. So let's talk about some of those. We were just talking off air. One of the ones that I learned about, heard about for the first time on National Purebred Dog Day's site is the porcelain. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about that one just to kick it off because it's a beautiful breed. Oh, it's exquisite. And it's a breed that I keep missing at the AKC National Championship. To my knowledge, there's only one that's being shown and I keep missing that one dog. It is, as you can imagine from its name, it has a coat that reminds people of porcelain. Now, I've always pronounced it porcelain. Mm-hmm. It could be porcelain, but I think it's porcelain. And the coat is mostly white, and there's a sheen to it that makes people think it's like porcelain. It's a hound. It's got the hound ears. I just think it's a beautiful breed, and I wish I could meet one. And, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because I got to thinking when I knew we were going to do this about what is a rare breed. Right. And why is it rare? And I suppose that rareness is determined by our experiences. And I reason, Laura, that if you and I have never seen an example of a breed given all of our travels at dog shows, then it's either because it really is a very rare breed or it's a working breed that has an experience to push for recognition amongst more established registries. For example, there is a Blue Lacey, there is a Kelpie. I've not seen either of them because... Mm -hmm. They don't belong to any registry that I'm aware of. There's not a push to get them recognized, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. In fact, the Blue Lacey is the state dog for Texas. Very cool dog named after the Lacey family, not because it's like Blue Lace, but it is a wicked working dog, and Mm. so is the Kelpie. Right. And unless I hightail it down to Texas or Australia, I'm unlikely to see either of these dogs anytime soon. But conversely... I find it interesting that just four years ago, the AKC put out an article entitled 11 Rare Dog Breeds You Never Knew Existed. May I run them off for you? Yes, please. They are the Sky Terrier, the Harrier, both the Foxhounds, the Bergamisco, the Chesky Terrier, the Norwegian Lundhund, the Finnish Spitz, the Chinook, and the Pyrenean Shepherd, and of course, the Otterhound. 
And I know I've seen every one of those breeds, and I think you have too. Absolutely. And yet they are considered rare according to this article. Mm. What I consider rare is something that I've never seen, and I would love to. I would love to see any of the Indian breeds, like the Caravan Hound. Yes. I'd love to see a Thai Ridgeback. Most people only think of the Rhodesian Ridgeback. Well, there are other The Thai Ridgebacks are beautiful. Aren't they gorgeous? They're like a Sholo to me, Mm -hmm. a bulkier Sholo with a ridge. Yes. And then, of course, there's the Porcelain. There's the Griffon Nevernay. There's a Czechoslovakian Wolf Dog. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of breeds I've never seen, and I'd love to see them. Right. What have you never seen? Oh, boy. I have never put hands on or seen live a Maremma. I would love to see one. The Livestock Guardian Dog. Mm-hmm. They're actually not uncommon. But again, like you say, they're a working breed that you don't see at a dog show. The one that I have seen that if nobody else has, must. There's a gal here in the Northwest who has, and I may say it wrong, so Brandy, forgive me, uh, Chong Dogs. Oh, yes. I would love she to see one. She has a litter. She just had a litter of puppies. I would love, they are a really interesting They're looking breed. fascinating. They're like French bulldogs. I was kinda. just going to say French bulldog <laughs> and a puggle. Dare yeah, I, I say I, it? Yeah, no. A French bulldog and a Peruvian Pug. Incan orchid or I don't know. I mean, they're crazy. Yeah, they're really interesting. Dogs. And you've met the dog? Yes. Yes. She what has they multiple. Like? They're a little standoffish. They're absolutely like in that so ugly they're cute category. Uh-huh. And just very, I mean, they look antique. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely it does. They look, I'm not going to go to prehistoric, but they look antique. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're very, very interesting. Primordial, I think. Yes, primordial. In my mind. Yes. Yeah. But I think, Susie, there's existing breeds that are threatened numerically due to a lack of popularity. And then there's a whole nother category of rare breeds that are either trying to reestablish or trying to survive or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I love the Rare Breeds Month has literally covered the spectrum of these, including Sky Terriers. We've done Harriers. Yeah. The Lundahuns, which are so fascinating and so rare that they, again, had to do an outcross. Restructuring? Maybe? No, they had to bring in another breed, and I can't remember the breed that they brought in, but trying to just preserve that breed entirely. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more. I mean, you interact with a huge variety of people. What's causing these breeds to either lose popularity from like the foxhounds or the skies that were once popular, or the breeds that are in that separate category that have just sort of faded into extinction without anybody really noticing. What's happening here? I think it's a perfect storm of different elements. Now, I make a distinction between what breeds are vulnerable in the UK and what breeds are vulnerable here in the UK. There are 13 breeds that are coming in at 100 registrations as of 2019. And that is in their country of origin. That's how they make it on that list, is if that was their country of origin and they have fewer than 300 registrations each year in the U.K., they are considered a dog that cannot sustain itself moving forward unless they get over that 300 mark. And there's 13 of them. I think the worst number that I saw in 2019 belonged to the Irish Red and White Setter, and that only had 39. Wow. The Otter Hound, I think, surprisingly came up a little better at 44, Mm. but 
worldwide, there's maybe 800 otter hounds, which right. I don't understand because it is a scruffy, wonderful dog. And yeah, we don't hunt otters anymore. But in my opinion, an otter hound can be repurposed. It's oh, out of a bloodhound in its ancestry. It can be repurposed to track and trail. It can do really very cool things. Yeah. But as so far as why I think this is happening to some breeds, I think among the reasons is too much choice and no choice. And let me explain. Mm -hmm. We are getting more and more breeds known to the public. So there's more choices for them to pick from if they go to a breeder. Mm -hmm. However, the adopt own shop and rescue world has had its impact. And so if you're vulnerable to feeling the guilt that you must adopt and you must rescue, then your choices are very limited because I don't think you're probably going to find a rescue as a walk. Right. I think size is not all of it because I think a lot of people are inclined to say, well, the dog's are very big and people don't want big dogs anymore. And yet the King Charles Spaniel, 93 dogs in the UK last year were registered. And that's a small dog. It's a marvelous dog. I think the culture has changed as well. We are living in more urban settings. We're closer together. And so a hound that bays is probably not going to be appreciated by our neighbor. Right. We don't hunt as much. And so we have less land. We live on less land and there is less land available to people to hunt on. It's also trendy. People, I think, are vulnerable if they don't do their homework. They see a dog on TV or in the movies that they fall in love with because the dog has a character, and the character is portrayed as having a quirky personality. People mm -hmm. fall in love with that personality, not necessarily thinking or realizing that that may be a character written in, but the actual breed itself comes with a different set of attributes, and if they don't do their right. homework, they're going to be disappointed. Frazier's Jack Russell Terrier springs to mind. Exactly. That is not a breed. I love them. I mm -hmm. couldn't live with them because they are very busy, yeah. but I do love the breed. So I think that there is a number of things that factor into it. I think I've come across people explaining that since they have banned cropping and docking, some of these breeds have fallen out of favor. Mm. But I don't think I buy that because, A, you shouldn't be falling in love with tails. Mm -hmm. It's everything in between and in the head and in the heart that matters. But also, we're getting more and more used to seeing, say, an old English sheepdog with a tail. And we're getting more used to seeing a Dane with natural ears. Right. I'm not saying it's right. I personally believe in having the choice if it's not illegal and you're good with it and it's done ethically, I don't have a problem with it. But I don't know that I think that's the whole reason as to why people are abandoning some of these breeds simply because they can't crop or dock the tail anymore. Well, I think you make a really, really interesting point in terms of removing choice. We've talked about it a lot here on the show, the Adopt, Don't Shop, and some of the things that we can do to help get information out to the general public. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I also think that it almost feels like it becomes a downward spiral. Your breed gets rare, so you want to guard it more. So it's more difficult to put it in a home because you're guarding it. And then you don't have any buyers, so you don't breed mm -hmm. any puppies. So then you don't have any puppies. If you should have a buyer, it has to wait for two years, and the buyer's like, dude, I could have a doodle tomorrow. Or it's a working breed, and the breeders, and I understand this, they want to preserve the hunting instinct in their dog, but they won't sell the dog yes. to anybody that doesn't hunt. And that happens to, as far as I can tell, a lot of the Nordic breeds that are hunting breeds. I will tell you it happens in my own breed. Oh, does it? Oh, gosh, yeah. The German wire hair pointers are hugely popular. 
ridiculously popular, the most popular hunting breed in Germany. And the organization that registers German wire pointers is called the VDD, the Verein Deutsch Drathar. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they have branches of that organization here in the United States. And the VDD ethos is very much about working dogs. And they will not breed a dog if it has not passed X number of tests. And so consequently, what happens is the people who breed within the VDD system strongly discourage selling Drothars or the AKC version of German wire hair pointers to anyone who doesn't hunt strongly. And on our social media list, there's always, no, you can't have a wire hair if you don't go hunting. Well, guess what? There's a whole lot of people in this world today that don't hunt. Hey, Laura Bella, let me ask you, are the different tests available through the breed clubs not sufficient? So the VDD system is designed to test the very specific working abilities of the German wire-haired pointer as it was envisioned and originally created. So this includes a lot of water work. It includes blood trailing. And I was just thinking of blood trailing, thinking Mm -hmm. that you could still probably do that using blood from a critter that was slaughtered anyway. They do. So are they insisting that the breed actually hunt and bring down a boar or... The breed is still used for that. And I probably shouldn't say this out loud on a podcast that's going to go out into the world. But the fact is, these tests, part of what the dog has to do is dispatch a predator. Right, right. (laughs) But I guess you can't really simulate that. There are some things you can simulate, but not everything. Not that. Although Earth Dog... They cage the rats, the rats are safe. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) No. No, no, no? No, no, no. This is the real deal. And so there is a different ethos amongst really hardcore working dogs. And the people who work within that system very adamantly believe that the German wire hair pointer, as recognized by the American Kennel Club, as tested with hunt tests, as tested with field trials, as tested even with the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, are absolutely not the same breed as the one that they're working with, Mm -hmm. even though genetically they are. From your perspective, what remedy do you see for that, for a hunting dog? Honestly, I have found, and I have done this myself, I just, just did a breeding with one of my stud dogs who's been absolutely bred and tested in the AKC and NAVDA system. And he was bred to a bitch who was purchased and imported from Russia that had been bred in the VDD system and the FCI system. And according to the VDD people, those are completely different breeds, but they're not. And it was a beautiful litter. It was an outcross of monumental proportions and brought a lot of really good quality. So in terms of my opinion... In terms of preserving the German wire hair pointer, I believe it is invaluable because it allows us to access what I think of as sort of islands of genetics that are not available mm-hmm. within the AKC system. But I guess I meant in terms of preserving the hunting ability. How do you preserve that in a country that frowns upon the way it's done in Europe? And that is a huge struggle, and it is a huge struggle 
within the breed. Everybody's got an opinion. AKC hunters, the American hunters who primarily use the dog for upland bird hunting, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of duck hunting. It's a versatile dog. So they'll go jump hunt ducks in the morning. Mm -hmm. Then they'll go catch a flight of doves. Then they'll go run a pheasant field, and then they'll go catch the evening geese landing, right? I mean, assuming you can get all these things in the same season at the same day, the wire hair pointer will do all of those things today, including dogs that are bred to the AKC standard and tested within the American Kennel Club and NAVDA. Mm -hmm. What most of our dogs do not have, and most of us in the United States don't really prefer, is the fur drive. And that is what you see much stronger in the European dogs. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is it makes a very difficult situation in today's society for a lot of people because those dogs will kill your cat Mm -hmm. happily, gleefully, and without thinking about it. Because that is what they were bred to do. (laughs) Because cats in the wild, feral cats, are one of the primary predators to baby game birds. Oh, absolutely. So Wirehead Pointer's job was to kill the feral cats so that they didn't eat the baby game birds. And in today's society, that is horrifying to people. And so it's a real clash. And so when we talk about preserving these working breeds, this is exactly what I'm talking about. There's that push and pull. Yeah, and it's not just hunting breeds. It extends across the board. Mm -hmm. We want dogs that can fit in with society. Correct. But let's face it, some breeds have written into their standards, mine included, sensibly suspicious of strangers. Now, to the nth degree, it would be a sharp personality. But I don't know that it's even that we have show dogs and we need show dogs to enable a judge to go over them and to live around other dogs and walk around other dogs and not lose it. But at the same token, in today's society, we do need to have dogs that we don't worry will be sharp towards a child or a neighbor. Exactly. And so it's not just the hunting breeds. I think we're all feeling the impact, not just because of dog shows, as as some people are fond of saying, we've ruined dogs by getting them AKC recognized so they can go to dog shows. No, I think it has more to do with the world that we live in. Unless you are a hermit living on an island, you have to get along and so do your critters. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's something you see in a variety of any of the working breeds. You know, I'm not talking about companion breeds, toy breeds, these dogs that have been bred for centuries to sit on your lap. I am talking about dogs that had a job, were created to do a specific job, did it very, very well. And in today's world, the Otter Hound or the German Wirehair Pointer or the Kill a Boar Great Dane or the, Mm -hmm. you know, Take Down a Wolf, Irish Wolfhound, you know, all of these breeds, they don't have those jobs. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. All right, crew. Embark is really, really committed to providing a resource for responsible breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts. And we know these are tough times. And to help serve breeders right now, when we need it, starting in April, Embark is going to reduce its prices significantly through a series of sales and programs to help make the DNA testing even more accessible for everybody. So stop by, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, or hop onto their Embark for Breeders Facebook page and take a look at what they have on offer. As always, Embark's leading DNA test kits provide a comprehensive assessment 
of your dog's genetic health, genetic diversity, and physical traits. And I can tell you, I just got back the two Embark tests that I had done on my own dogs, and it was so cool. And I spent like half the day clicking through all the fun stuff. So stop by the Pure Dog Talk website and click the Embark logo on the homepage and take a look at what they have on offer. In the dog breeding community, as we talk about preserving breeds, preserving them with the character and the sensibility to do a job that they can no longer do is a huge part of that conversation. It is a huge part, and I think it also has to do with appreciating what you've got. And I cite the Caravan Hound as Exhibit A. Several years ago, I was approached by someone who is of Indian extraction, and he was very concerned about the plight of the caravan hound in his native country. What was happening is that the dog was, and I'm trying to be delicate about this because I don't want to get anybody into trouble, but the dog was being interbred with greyhounds Mm. and being presented as a pure caravan hound. And after looking at enough pictures provided to me by this chap, of a pure caravan hound, I eventually came to be able to see the difference between a caravan hound and one that had greyhound in it. And the differences were exquisite. The caravan hound is an exquisite breed. What happens is that the people in India don't necessarily appreciate their native breeds because they think that if it comes from somewhere else, it's more exotic, so those breeds become more popular. So you have Rottweilers and Great Danes and German Shepherds living in India, yes. and the Caravan Hound and other breeds whose names I can't pronounce unless I have it in front of me, are just falling to the wayside. And he wanted to bring a Caravan Hound into this country, and his parents thought he was out of his mind. I even wrote a letter to them on his behalf, because he's on the young side, mm. and I said to them, please be proud of your son for wanting to preserve a part of your heritage because you may have grown up with these dogs being associated with peasantry. It's a country that still has a caste system. Yes. And I suppose that some of these breeds were associated with lower caste people. Right. Not all, though. Some were associated with, you know, higher-ups. But Absolutely. Be that as it may, finally they're starting to notice that, yeah, we have some very cool breeds here. Sadly, a huge number of Indian breeds have gone extinct. And I hope that they get on the ball and preserve what they have left. The rumblings are there. The beginnings are there. Mm -hmm. And I want to see it happen. But eventually, I'd love to see my friend bring a caravan hound over to this country because they're exquisite. They're just exquisite. Yes. And to see them in their native country with, I don't want to say, they're not tattoos. They're symbols painted on the body. Mm -hmm. Although there is some tattooing because those people honestly believe that they are helping keep the dogs healthy by scarring and tattooing. And it's branding. kind of interesting, I, The actually. ones I've seen are branding. It's branding. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I heard a veterinarian say that there is some merit to that kind of thinking, that when you brand a dog, it's getting the white blood cells and the red blood cells, and they're all going to the site of the wound to heal it. And so it's boosting the dog's immunity. And so they find that ultimately these dogs are a little healthier than dogs that don't. So it's a very curious thing, and it's completely off topic, but they're a very cool breed. Well, talk to me about how all of this now applies to National Purebred Dog Day and the work that you are doing to make that a recognized event around 
our country and what you are doing to support it with your photo contest that's happening as we speak. Yeah. The good news is that the day is, is getting traction. It has now been recognized. It's going on its fifth year. In fact, I think this is its fifth year of official recognition. It had mm-hmm. little tiny grassroots in the beginning, but I knew that I had arrived last year when I noticed all over social media, including Instagram and Twitter, that people were posting sales that had nothing to do with dogs, but they had a National Purebred Dog Day sale. Nice. So they could sell frames to recent graduates or veterinary clinics were offering a discount. And I thought, this is awesome. Nice. It's when it permeates the culture that you know that it's gaining traction. Three states have recognized it officially. Colorado was the first, Connecticut and Georgia. And I heard that while I knew it was introduced to Congress in 2017, that Congress was not in the mood to get anything done. Mm. And now I heard before all this pandemic hit that it was going to be reintroduced again. But then life changed for all of us, mm-hmm. and we have bigger fish to fry than National right. Purebed Dog Day. On the other hand, we also need the diversion. And so this is a marvelous opportunity to post pictures of our breeds, explain why we love them all over social media, using the hashtag NPDD or hashtag National Purebred Dog Day or hashtag Net Purebred Dog, and explain why you love your breed. And there is just nothing like pictures to drive home the point. And if you have a rare breed, all the better. It's a way to introduce the world to your breed. Social media is huge, as we know. I don't think we do enough to take advantage of it. And that could be another topic for another day. Yes. Because there's a lot we're not doing with social media. So National Purebred Dog Day is gaining traction. Last May, I had nearly a million people. It was 975,000 some odd people hit the Facebook page alone on May 1st. So it is a wonderful way to use the day as a tool, not only for your club or your breed or your business, but you as a breeder. It's the one day that it's okay, and I expect it, and I think it's becoming expected. This is the day that you show off your breed. This is the day you say, I am a breeder. I am proud of it. I am creating the next generation of well-socialized sound dogs so that they don't vanish off the face of the earth and they don't become one of the extinct breeds that we only read about now. Right. And all of us are at risk. If we're not vigilant with our breeds, all of our breeds are at risk of vanishing. They need to be tended like a soup or a souffle. You can't just let it go and leave it in the hands of people who are doing it for all the wrong reasons. Right. And there is a legacy that each breed brings that I think needs to be cultivated and lovingly nourished and expanded to share with other people. Do you know this about your beagle or did you know this about your otterhound? Right. Everyday people whose dogs never set foot in a show ring love hearing trivia about their breeds. Absolutely. They love hearing things that they didn't know, but they don't always have the time to explore what those factoids are. National Purebred Dog Day is a wonderful day to share trivia on a meme or a gif. We have all these wonderful tools that we can use on May 1st to share the love about our different breeds. And the photo contest, you can download your I Love Purebred Dogs sign. Mm -hmm. There are. Thank you for that. The photo contest requires that there be a sign in the picture. It doesn't necessarily have to be downloaded from the website but it can be, but you can make your own. But the signs that you can download that are ready to go, they just need printing out, is 
I love, I heart purebred dogs. I heart my purebred dog or happy national purebred dog day. And I encourage everyone to print them out. Some of them are going to be a little more problematic because happy national purebred dog day is long, (laughs) but that is the sign that you put in the hands of a loved one or a neighbor or whoever you can be with now, given social distancing and not have it indicate that this person doesn't love mutts either. We all love all dogs, whatever their ancestry. But those of us who have purebred dogs have found that we want the predictability of that breed. We love the history and the legacy of that breed, and it's important to preserve those. But a lot of us started out with mutts. Some of us still have mutts. Some of us have rescues. I'm included. So I think there's a misconception among people who don't take the trouble to learn the genesis of National Purebred Dog Day of what it's really about. And if they inquired, they would learn that a lot of us, we love all dogs, but we feel that we need to preserve these breeds that have been around, some of them, thousands of years, hundreds of years. You know, how cool is it to have a dog by your leg that Henry VIII had and a Greyhound or a Mastiff? Yes. Well, and I think that that piece to me is what always touches me, that purebred dogs are history and they are art and they are museum pieces with a pulse yes they are a conduit to our past direct line and national purebred dogging is a way to bring that to the forefront the photo contest is done in fun and interestingly this was the year i thought oh this is frivolous and i shouldn't be doing it at a time when there's a pandemic and people are sick and We have really big health issues. And then I came to realize, no, no, we need this now this year more than ever. We need the distraction. Do the best you can with what you've got. We've got, I don't know, 14 different contests. The AKC Mm -hmm. just came on board yesterday. So there's been a new contest announced today. But we have really wonderful prizes and a lot of dog people stepped up. Because I felt bad about contacting businesses from last year, not knowing if they were even still in business. Right. And they are, they're doing the best they can. And I encouraged my readers, if you know of a business that's struggling, you know what, offer a gift certificate to that business as a prize. And it's a win-win. It helps support that business, but it also offers a prize. So the photo contest, there's no entry fee. It's all in fun. There are different challenges. A lot of them have a pandemic. Check out the Pure Dog Talk Challenge. Yep, that's right. You do have one, and it's really fun. Tell us about it. Pure Dog Talk Challenge is, I don't even remember, purely dogs (laughs) talking is what we did last year. But this year, I think it was about social distancing. (laughs) It was. How does your dog do social distancing? And I think there'll be some really fun pictures. People want to laugh. And my judges... David Fry returns. Oh, wonderful. The National Dog Show and Beverly Hills Dog Show. And of course, everyone remembers him from Westminster. And then Jack Grassa, who is the Westminster Kennel Club photographer, does fabulous work. These two have been such long-suffering good sports judging these pictures until their eyes bleed. Awesome. But it's a lot of fun, and people love looking at the pictures. And it's not too late, although I wouldn't wait much longer. If you want to sponsor a contest, I welcome you. You get to design your own challenge. And in return, I'm old school. I feel that if somebody goes to the trouble of sponsoring a prize, the least I can do is thank them publicly on all of National Purebred Dog Day social media outlets. So if you have a business, rest assured, I will make a big deal out of it. Like, oh, thank you too, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And not only that time, but after the photo contest is over and the prizes have been awarded, 
I encourage the recipients to take a picture of your prize with your dog, and then I post those too. Nice. So I feel like it's a win-win. The dogs win by getting publicized their breeds. The business wins, and then the people, they love taking part of it. They do, and they have so much fun with it. They do. Having watched it over the last couple of years and Pure Dog Talk sponsoring one of the prizes for the last couple of years, it's just, it is amazing to me the creativity. People are just so clever. It's amazing. One of my favorite of the contests is the Where's Waldo contest. Yes. And Where's Waldo, you're supposed to find Waldo in a sea of people all wearing the stripes. Right. And last year, these entries were so good that I had to ask for, okay, now send me the picture and put a circle around the dog because nobody can find it. (laughs) And I think the winner was a little black pug that was lined up with a whole bunch of black balloons. So you could find the dog, not right away, but you could find him. And it was just very clever. And how sound did that dog have to be to sit around a bunch of black balloons? Right. Well, and it's a black pug. So let me tell you about how hard that is. (laughs) And one of my favorite pictures, and I don't mean to go off the rails, but there was a Belgian Malinois that was wearing a jacket that you would have thought Cairo wore when you went in to take down Big Daddy. And they won, and I'm so thrilled to welcome back Impact Crates. Right. They are offering a $700 gift certificate to their website. $700 can buy probably one of the best crates you'll ever have in your life. Yes, without doubt. So thank you for bringing up the photo contest. This yep. is one part of May 1st. It's a fun part of it. But honestly, I hope people regard it as a tool to advertise their clubs, their breeds, their breeding programs, what they're doing. And use the day as a tool. It's our day. And yes, there are those people out there who will try to bring you down, but you ignore them and don't engage them because then they've won. Yep. Don't feed the beast, man. Mm -mm. All right. Well, Susie, I am definitely feeding your beast. You are National (laughs) Purebred Dog Day, and I will feed that beast every day. So thank you. I appreciate that, Laura. You've been a wonderful support, and I can't thank you enough. Well, you have a great day, and I will look forward to seeing all of the pictures, you guys. It's just a few days away. I know. It'll be there and it'll be fun. All right. Thanks a lot, Susie. Talk to you soon. You bet. Bye-bye. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.